Uh, howdy, Mac. Hey. I get squeakier every week. Yeah. That was, that was weird. You had a dude ranch? We did have... Uh, Working country, remotely? We had country music playing during spin class this morning. Oh, my God. There's so much wrong with that sentence. Yeah, it's like... I don't know. There needs to be, like, a uh, spinoff of Portlandia, which is just called Colin. <laughs> Oh, I would watch that. <laughs> if I had a TV. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so how was your week? How are you doing? Let's I'm fine. Up. Um, the, yeah. we're, we're sort of, I don't know, it seems like it's been a busy week in, in the world of tech. I think we're back into an exciting period here up until the holidays kick in. Yeah, lots of rumors about what we'll be able to buy soon. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for new stuff. I don't know, Mac Pro coming in a couple weeks. That'll be exciting. Maverick's coming in a couple weeks. Probably the same time, yeah. 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 Um, so you're running the, the GM now, right? I am, the yeah. Mavericks? Yeah. So GM, Golden Master, it's like the finished copy. Because Apple never really does a second GM, do they? Uh, no. Once they did. I remember they did for like Tiger. You, you but, said you said finished in air quotes, right? Yeah, I mean it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's what we're gonna get. Right, right. Does your mail work? No. no okay. Not, not even slightly. Okay. Um, messages okay. is messages, right? I mean, it's never I, gonna work. It seriously worked for a while. <laughs> it worked fine until like you showed up. Uh sorry about that. It was it was cool before everybody else found out about it. Um you know, Safari seems better. Uh sure. Activity monitor's nicer. That's good. That's uh, where most people spend their day. Hey, I well, that reminds me actually. Um I'd kind of forgotten about the app nap functionality. App nap. Um is there anything developers need to do vis-a-vis app nap? Yes. Um, they need to opt into it. Okay. So I couldn't remember if it was opt in or opt out. It's opt in. Okay. So, um, for now. Yeah. And so what AppNap does is if your app is hidden, so if it doesn't have any windows being displayed on the screen, either because they're all covered up or the users hit you know Command H to hide the app, um, your app's actually suspended and doesn't get any CPU time. Mm, gets less. It still gets called occasionally? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so basically, the idea, I mean, so what you have to do to opt in, basically, is tell the system anytime you schedule something like a timer how serious you really are about the time you want it to fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, in reality, what you do is you move everything over to Grand Central Dispatch yeah. so that it can do stuff whenever it wants. And you get rid of the entire notion of, you know, a wall clock. Right. You just make everything async and event-driven. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, it makes Did you it, notice any difference in battery life when you I switched? I actually haven't taken my laptop out um, all week, so I don't know. Um, I haven't left the house. So I will maybe this weekend. Um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, um, especially in cases where you're not on 
any internet connectivity or anything, you know, but you want to leave a Safari window open or have mail open or something, um, and you can see them churning and using a bunch of CPU, being able to hide them and have them suspended is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, they should just get better about not using them. But I mean, I don't think AppNap is actually, I mean, it's an interesting technology. I don't think it matters particularly. Um, I think what matters more is the, um, the fact that Apple has put focus on battery life. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the timer coalescing, AppNap. Right, um, but all of that, I mean, the technology behind it isn't that important. I mean, basically, developers have not optimized for battery life for years. And, you know, it's pretty well known that you either, you know, make it important, make the things that Apple thinks are important, important in your development cycles, or, you know, you don't get a lot of love from them. Right. Well, and they're, I mean, they're taking the step of actually publicly shaming apps in the energy bar. Uh, Yeah. So I think all of that just means that we're going to, you know, there's going to be more pressure to optimize for battery life. Yeah. But I I think we'll do a lot more than any of the actual technological change. The cultural change, I think, is much more important than the technological changes. Absolutely. I mean, the big thing is they're actually giving us the tools to look at our energy use as well, because, you know, some people, I think, assume that CPU utilization equals battery use, but that's not the case. Um, And and their energy use meter now takes into account all the various things that draw power and sort of tries to create an average. It's, It's imperfect, but, you know, an app that doesn't use any CPU but thrashes the GPU would show as having very little activity in a CPU activity monitor, but is actually sucking all your battery. Right. Um, so it's, I think, pretty pretty informative to get to see that. And, and yeah, I mean, um, I like the idea that potentially installing Mavericks might give you a percent increased battery life on your existing machine. And obviously if they're, you know, if they are going to move the route of doing ARM laptops, um, you know, and between ARM and better power management in the OS and, and things like that, they could conceivably go to a laptop that's sort of MacBook Air factor form factor but has you know, 24 hours of battery life or something ridiculous, right? Right. So, um, you know, I don't know what their roadmap is in that regard, but it certainly makes sense. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't... It seems like everything's moving that way. It's, it sounds like it's more of a timeline thing than anything at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting... I don't know from a marketing perspective if there's any uh, necessity to time a laptop release with a Mavericks release because let me just walk you through a scenario. Um, If you were going to release a MacBook Air with a Retina display at the end of this month um, and the Retina display had a a power consumption hit um, and you couldn't cram more battery into the Air, um, if you shipped those machines in conjunction with Mavericks and Mavericks gives you a battery battery gain. You might be able to post the same runtime as the old Air and say, you know, it's got a Retina display, but it still runs just as long as the old one. Um, even though, you know, were you to do apples to apples, you know, old Air running Mavericks versus new Air running Mavericks, the right, you know, new Air might run less time. Um, hmm. It's it's just something. Do you I've been really think it's coming? Um, they're due, and I've certainly heard chatter about that. I don't know. Um, I thought they just revved the air recently. They revved them. At WWC, right? Did they? Yeah. That was the one that went Nahalathem. Nahalathem. Okay. Gollum. Hmm. I don't know. Um, They're certainly going to do 
you know, we're very due for MacBook Pro Retinas. That hasn't been revved for 18 months. Yeah. Um, and we're due for Mac Minis, but I guess that's not relevant. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, very curious. Um, but otherwise, you know, Mavericks seems... The only thing that totally broke for me was BusyCal, and I was running the old version. I hadn't paid for the, the new version, so... Because you hate developers. Um, you know, I hadn't upgraded because the new version hadn't added anything I needed, and I liked the old version fine. Um, and for now, I'm trying iCal because they've made iCal um, a lot yeah, less Yeah, they do painful. some of that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll I see. I love the new look of iCal. Yeah, yeah. I may go back to BusyCal. I may buy the new version, but um, for now, I figured I'd give iCal a, a try and just see how it goes. Um. Otherwise, yeah, things are things are fine. It works. Mm. I haven't really. I don't know if any. I didn't turn on um, automatic app updates on Mavericks. I turned it on on iOS seven, but something I just can't. I don't know. I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, yeah. App Store prompted me about it, but mm. App Store is also prompting me to upgrade to an older version of Xcode right now. So oh no, no, no! It did. I did. That happened automatically. I think, okay. or I opted in automatically, or it yeah. wasn't an option back in the beginning. Okay. But, um, yeah, because that's how I lost Xcode. <laughs> and it went and blew over two versions of Xcode with one. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, didn't opt into that. Um, but we shall see. So um, we have a couple groups of stories here. The first sort of group is on, on tactile feedback in computing. Um, one is a research project that does mid-air tactile feedback, so they actually are able to make you feel things as you move your hands through space. So um, they shoot like microwaves at you, and yeah, 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 and they just boil the air in front of you. Yeah, um, boil a little bit to your skin. And no, how do they do it? I think it's sound wave based. I don't oh, know ultrasonic, yeah. yeah, acoustic radiation force. I read this earlier this week, um, and the other one is I think. Uh, no, that yeah, it is a Disney project. Um, a screen, an uh, LCD touchscreen that lets you feel textures by um, creating different types of friction as you move your hand across the display, and they can simulate different textures that way. Okay, these both sound a little crazy. <laughs> um, so when when do we when do we use these? Well, I think that's you know an interesting case. I think the Disney thing. I mean, you can you can come up with very specific use cases, right? Um, I mean, the only time you really want anyone touching a screen is their phone. Anywhere else, you know, well, or, or again, like the use cases you'd come up with for signage, Disney, digital maybe, signage, yeah, you know, interactive displays at theme parks or right. educational things. I mean, like if it was on an iPad and you could have educational apps that had like feel this bark, you know, like the old books that had different textures in them, right? I don't know those books. They had those books? Yeah, well, they had books with, like, this is sandpaper, and this is fur, and this is smooth. I don't know. Wow, I didn't How did you learn your textures? Do you even know your textures? I don't know. We'll I think so. We'll Maybe. Back. Yeah. Time for remediation. Um Maybe it's like one of those things where maybe my fur and your fur are not the same, and we just don't know. I don't have fur. It's like, no, that's true. You are a very smooth man. <laughs> that hurt me. Um, oh. You know, but 
I, again, if this if this was technology, especially the Disney technology, if it was something that could be integrated into an LCD screen for no cost, you know, it would be it would make a lot of sense. It'd be great for um, visually impaired users. It'd be great for using. Okay, that would be cool. Yes. Um, you know, just being able to have edges on things, raised and, buttons. Yeah, but I yeah I get I I do question whether it would ever see mass adoption. Yeah, I mean, it's not gonna. You're not gonna put on a TV. I hope <laughs> um, you're not going to put it in. Yeah, but like you know, I guess we have more screens than ever that we touch. Yeah. So here's a market for it. Um, but what about the in-air on? Yeah, I mean that to me, I don't really understand because I don't. I guess you know it gets back to this idea of if you're a uh, a believer in the leap motion sort of mentality. Yeah. If you think that's a meaningful computing interface, yeah. this is the logical next step. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the when talking about object manipulation by moving your hands in 3D space, um, without resistance, it's not that interesting. And for that, you need gloves. You need something, yeah. 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 I mean, because feeling a texture is great or, you know, feeling a, a hit or something. But to actually interact with a 3D environment, I think the other bits that gloves provide are important. Yeah. And there are really advanced gloves that do, you know, yeah, they're like texture, arms, do resistance, basically. do, yeah. yeah. So. But I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, two cool projects and, and worth taking a look at if you're into this kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's it especially the midair thing is pretty amazing just the idea that it, they can do that yeah i mean the only thing i can come up with for that is some way to get your attention to sell you stuff yeah. you know like you sit down on the bus and uh i mean you sit down on the subway and they add above your head like kicks you in the face yeah basically yeah yeah i don't really uh i don't really know about that one Speaking of things that I am not so convinced have value to our world, what about live shopping? Okay, so I put this on here as part of like a larger discussion. So this is something which Google is playing with right now, which is you know their Hangouts, their Google Hangouts. Um, they are paired up with a bunch of designers. And they're doing a hangout where, like, the designer talks to everybody. You know, they sort of like it's like it's like a trunk show, I guess. You know what a trunk show is, right, Colin? No. Ugh, God, I'm so far down this rabbit hole. Um, so a trunk show is like you go and you have some mimosas with the designer, and they like have all their clothes available for sale. And you sort of like meet and, you know, it's like a party where you can buy stuff. It's usually done either in, you know, in one of their like stores in town or like a gallery that reps them or a hotel, you know, conference room. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I don't find this particularly like... Uh, apparently they're fair, they're doing fairly well um and so what i find interesting is like these things these sort of things seem to be cropping up a lot this idea of like 
live TV on the internet, live events on the internet. Yeah. Um, that have no reason why they need to right, be Right, it's live. not breaking news coverage. Right. It's, yeah, it's the kind of thing where... And so I'm just curious, you know, it seems like... You know, we spent a lot of time and technology, like technological effort, trying to make live TV less live with DVR and video on demand, and now we seem to be investing similar amounts of, you know, time and talent and money into try into making a video on a website live again. Yeah. And so, so I didn't. I didn't so watch what's going this, on? I didn't watch this Hangout. Um, oh, do you probably weren't. It wasn't the right time. I mean, it was a live event. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, you can go to that link and it's recorded. Um, oh, sure. Was there actual interaction happening between the viewers and the talent? Okay, I didn't watch it either. But okay. I, my understanding was, um, I should say, that this is a project that my, the team my girlfriend works on at Google does this project. Okay. So I know a little bit more about it. And I also... I don't know. I guess I'm supposed to like it more. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think if Rebecca's expecting that in this relationship, things are uh, off track. Oh, she didn't directly work on this, so I can pan it. But I mean, I, I think it's interesting. So it's, apparently, yeah. no, they did not. It was not like meet a famous designer and talk to them and ask your pithy questions. Like my understanding is, there it was a one way event. Like they had a like they had people to facilitate the interview, but they were like all handlers for the person. Huh. Yeah, so it's like going and watching someone talk, give a talk, or like a roundtable sort of thing, or something like that. Yeah. Interesting. I I I mean, I've certainly been seeing a lot of this too, and and um, things like well, there's there's all those great platforms out there now for facilitating this sort of thing, like Ustream, uh, Live, what's that? Well, Hangouts, obviously. Um, and Livestream, yeah, Google, Live Google has the YouTube Live as right. well. And, that, and, and they integrate Hangouts into YouTube now as well. And I mean, there's yep. a lot, you know, a few years ago, it was just technically not worth doing. Now it's, um, it can be as, as, you know, it can be easy to do. Um, and I think if done right, can build a lot of engagement. I, you know, think about all of the different podcast networks that broadcast live because, um, you know, why not, right? Right. Okay. Um, so what? So what's going on here? What do you mean? Like, what? What? I mean, where? What's the? What's the there there? Why are people so interested in doing this? Well, more people listen because they think they have to. Is it is it a matter of there's don't, too I, many options available to us, and so we all just like have a backlog of shit we think we're going to get to, and by making it live, you can't say like, oh yeah, no, that sounds interesting. I'm going to watch that three days from now. I don't know and then because never do it. I'm not sure um, that it necessarily. I, I don't know that it necessarily expand your audience, but I would imagine, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily a sort of thing that people explicitly schedule around, but if you happen to be able to catch it, I imagine it does increase engagement. Um, again, especially if you get, if you can do the feedback, I think it's a little weird. Yeah. The feedback. Yeah. I know that I get, but most of these things don't seem to have that much of that. Hmm. 
Maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, you know, like, at the same time, like, I go to these event, you know, like Sinti and all the, you know, various groups that I'm a member of, they have these events where you, like, go to a webinar and right. some guy, like, presents slides. And a few people ask questions, but for the most part, it's like watching some guy's boring slide, per- you know, presentation. Yeah. And a lot of times it's background noise, and if you're, you know, working a cube or something, um, having that makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, but I think about, like, when, you know, when Cat was on the Nautilus, um, being able to tune in and watch the streaming video from, um, you know, the robots under the ocean. You know, in that case, you could ask questions, but it was also just this sort of background noise of, of pleasant people doing something cool that I'm interested right. in. Um, right. And I, I did leave it open, but it wasn't like... Um, I, you know, got my popcorn and sat back at the TV to watch it. It was a different kind of consumption. Right. But it's hmm. also, you know, I would never think to go there and watch a pre-recorded, like I wouldn't watch an hour of pre-recorded video like that, but leaving an hour of live stuff on, something about that is different in my mind at least. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of the other, like, nugget that's in the back of my head about why this works is, like, one... We don't expect the same production value. And two, you know, the thing with live is you're always, like, because it's not, like, scheduled, like, take time out of my day and sit down and, like, focus on this, it doesn't have to be as interesting. It doesn't have to be as, you know, as, like, polished. Well, and you also don't... easier to make. And Yeah, as a consumer, you don't feel any um, need to you know, pause and catch up or anything. It's just sort of, it's the music. Yeah. Although, can I make, can I admit something? What? I don't pause podcasts when I listen to them. I don't usually either. Like, I treat them like the radio. When, I, when I'm listening to a podcast, even one that I really like, like if I get up and go to the bathroom, I just leave it running. And then I come back and go, oh, I wonder what they said. <laughs> and I like, I don't do, I don't even rewind unless it's like, I don't know. Unless it's really compelling, I'm like, oh, huh. huh. I don't know why. I think it's just because I think of it like radio. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. I'm not quite the same, but anyways, I mean, in, you know, I've certainly noticed that as well, and I think you know it's in part that just technology has enabled it. But you know, I'm, I don't know. I mean, is there? What's the advantage over? you know, doing something, you know, I mean, the obvious advantage of producing something and putting it out is you can manage it better. Right. But again, at least something in this, this type of content, which is like people talking to you for a while, like this didn't strike me as the sort of thing that people would ever sit down and watch on the internet, especially when, you know, it's competing with more interesting content on YouTube or something. Yeah. But least some percentage of people who would never watch it pre-recorded will tune in live for whatever reason i don't know no i guess you'd have to ask a marketing person or something yeah i just have to talk to a marketing person oh be nice everyone's a special flower with their own important flower bits and you got to figure out how to monetize that flower sure um, so yeah, I mean, is there anything else to say about life? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Mari for Max out. Yeah, it shipped. Cool. So this was, we saw this back at WWDC. 
under NDA. Was it? A- oh yeah, that's right. It was a. Um, they basically started playing with this, or they ported it over to Mac at about the same time that Apple gave them a Mac Pro to play with. Uh, and so Mari is a texturing tool. And I don't from, remember. It's not from Pixar originally. Who was it from? Oh, I don't remember. Um, you know, it's like everything else in their business model. They buy it from someone. Oh, it's Weta, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. Because the right. original guy's Weta, yeah. Yep. So this is not the same or is the same as ZBrush conceptually? Totally different. Okay. ZBrush is actually not a brush tool, right? What? My understanding is ZBrush is for brushing. It's for modeling. Was it? I thought it was not texturing. texturing. No, it's because it's the tool Z. I was thinking of. Z text. It's for like painting on bump maps and stuff. Yeah, I think there was but a I texture painting tool though. I don't know what it was. Um, this is a little outside of my. Oh, there. Yeah. Mm. What was that tool? I know what you're talking about. But I'm not going to come up with it. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, it's for painting textures on your 3D models so that, you know, without as much of the UV, you know, you're not like taking a UV unpacked file into Photoshop and mucking around. You can actually like basically stamp textures directly onto the model in 3D. And it does, you know, sort of deals with the deformation and everything else. Right. And it lets you build up sort of rich textures in a very natural way. Yeah. I mean, I the, the demo was very impressive and gave me a lot of respect for the people who are doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not an app that it's not a new app. It's new to the Mac. Um, but it's always great when these things come to the Mac. Yeah. Um, and it's and cool. They were, they were very excited about the new graphics cards in the Mac Pro. Yeah. So, so that's good. I yeah, I, this is good for people who use it. I I assume it's very expensive. I don't know. Yeah, every. I mean, I think it's not seven ninety nine. What did they say? Oh no, Mario is only fourteen ninety five. Okay. Right now. Yeah. Because it's twenty five percent off. Huh. Well, that's so. It'll be two thousand dollars. Yeah. Just. What software used to pretty, cost? Pretty darn affordable if yeah. you're making. It wasn't that long ago that Final Cut was $1,300. Exactly. Um, I assume you still have to pay for software if you're a VFX company, right? I I mean, most like of you them... Don't, you don't pay for the, like, you know, you don't pay your employees, but... Well, I mean, I've heard that piracy in that industry is, like, oh, sure. 99 I mean, wasn't there... But isn't everything node-locked? I don't know. I mean... All those big tools are node-locked. I don't know. I remember hearing one story about some app that everyone loved and maybe it was like shake. Like when Apple bought shake, they found out that they'd only ever sold a total of like 400 seats or something. Oh yeah, that's true. That Um, was definitely a real story. And, and you know, there were all these companies totally built around shake that each only owned like one license. Yeah. Although I heard that had less to do with piracy and more to do with, the fact that they were giving it away. Yeah, like Shake was more interested in the 
you know, first we get all the press releases and then we profit. Yeah, yeah. Well. But, yeah. Can't wait to see what they're working on. You can do that. I mean, what were they charging, like 40 grand a seat or something? Yeah. Just like Silicon Color. Mm-hmm. Before they did, got bought. That was that was like 20 grand a seat, I think, and you needed a stack yeah. of X-Serves. And I heard yeah. they sold. They did not sell a ton of them. Yeah, either. less than 100 seats, I think. You know, that's... They've been in business for a year. Yeah. It's not the worst amount of... Paid for their NAB booth. Yeah, and got them bought. Yeah. And then killed. Anywho. Um, what's this 23andMe patent? Okay, so this is like... Now we're getting out of video. Um, but... This is the patent that 23andMe filed or was granted this week... Um, and it's basically, they've come up with like a nice tool for calculating, um, like, remember when you did like the Mendelian genetics plots for traits, you know, like the short peas and the green peas and the yellow peas and you counted them and you figured out what traits... It's basically that, except probably a little better. Um, And so you sort of input stuff about, or you like get your genome sequence, you get the other, your, you know, your significant other's genome sequence, and then it sort of figures out what the probabilities are to do that your children will have various traits from the two of you. So basically, it's like I mean, there's no product here yet, but it's like uh, it's like a eugenics web 3.0 site. Okay, that's software as service. That doesn't sound terribly reassuring. Well, you know, so they're talking about like eye color, you know, and they're talking about how fun it's going to be and everything else. But I don't know. I mean. I don't. I have lots of thoughts about this, but I don't know how much we want to get into it. Fair enough. I mean, th- their blog post is in part saying we're not going to use this for eugenics, right? But I mean, there's really there's little to no incentive to not use it for eugenics. I mean, I mean, I think ultimately most people are pretty hip to the idea of eugenics, right? If you don't I mean, call it eugenics. Right, not on like a state level, but like on a me and my kids. Right. You know, what happens between me and my wife and our, you know. Our genetic scientists. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, yeah, I hadn't really been following the story. I've seen people talking about it, but it just hasn't really been on my radar. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, at this point, you know, as long as most couples are still having babies the old-fashioned way i don't think you know like i don't you're not going to choose your partner based on this you know like our relationship's going really well you know why don't you friend me on 23andme (laughs) i want to look at some things here before i pop the question you know like i don't think that's going to happen like hormones are too good (laughs) They've they've solved those problems years ago yeah um but, you know, this is, you know, I guarantee the first way they're going to monetize this is with at sperm banks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
instead of using that little like flip binder, it's like, oh, you know, this this guy went to Harvard, and your kids have a sixty three percent chance of having green eyes, right? You know, and I guess you know if you're already shopping for a kid, why not? Yeah, well, exactly. If if that's the case, it's it's more the the case of, oh, I don't. <laughs> let's redo that baby. Well, right, and I mean that you know, you don't you don't need this for that, right? Because this is all probabilistic. Um, you know, in that case, you just sequence the genome once the baby's around, yeah, and then make the decision on what you do. Yeah, but don't wait till it's born and then decide. Exactly. Born. Yeah, that gets messier. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Same old. Um, I'm gonna skip this retinal glasses thing for the moment. Okay. Because I don't. I want to understand it better first. Um, so there have been a couple things I wanted to talk about vis-a-vis international cell phone roaming and get your thoughts on whether this is actually a shift in the market that's worth thinking about. Um, the first is the launch this week of a startup called No Roaming, K-N-O-W, um, that is doing a... You would call it a Kickstarter-esque thing, although it's in the most sketchy well i don't even know what, what so basically what they did is they put up on their website like pre-order this product but they're using all the verbiage of a kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. but it's not through kickstarter or anything it's just a pre-order for a product um but i think they're using the language so that if they don't deliver it's not as big a deal as if you'd actually done a quote-unquote pre-order it's very strange right so they're they're leap yeah yeah okay um but their product is a sticker that you affix to your SIM card. Um, oh, it, yeah, these guys. And it apparently, apparently SIM cards have a bunch of functionality or can have a bunch of functionality that I wasn't aware of. Like um, they can actually drive menus on your cell phone that let you control things the SIM does. Um, and so what they do is um, you put the sticker on your SIM card and then um, anywhere you travel in the world, you can sort of flip this magic um, sticker on. So it's not on by default, but you sort of turn it on and then it becomes a local SIM for whatever country you're in um, with a local number that you can buy through their app that you run on your phone. They handle all the call forwarding stuff so that uh, your your real cell phone number rings through to this this overseas number and handle data and everything. And so you have one sort of roaming sim that you turn on and off um and then get discounted rates and the rates aren't quite as good um and and in some cases are are substantially worse than buying a sim in country but the flexibility is of course you don't have to deal with all that hassle and headache right and yeah buy the sim when you get there and deal with the local people and try to figure out how to pay for it right and call into a you know authorization system that's not in english and yeah all that so it's certainly attractive um i i'm not a hundred percent clear on how it works and if it works and if it's all legit Um, yeah i mean it kind of sounds like i mean when you put a sticker on something to fix something it i don't know it sort of sounds like homeopathy or something you know it's like remember the stickers they used to sell you to protect you from cancer from your phone oh yeah the antenna stickers yeah or no yeah so they were the ones that made your antenna work better 
And then there were other ones which like blocked the cancer from getting into your head. Oh, I never had one of those. Oh, I think they were copper colored. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the thing that was, well, that there are a few things that are strange for me. One, um, you know, you need an unlocked phone, which makes sense if, you know, you're going right. to I mean, but so why is it a sticker? It's a sticker because you keep your original SIM and they don't want you to have to swap SIMs when you travel. Why don't they just give you a new SIM? Because you can't clone a SIM, ostensibly. You can't? Um, I mean, they're encrypted and... and oh. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, I mean, isn't that what they're doing abroad? What do you mean? <laughs> Aren't they basically cloning copies of legitimate SIMs from companies abroad that you're roaming with? No, I don't think so. Um, I think they've done deals or, you know, something so that they can... So this is like they've bought time on everybody's system right. in the same way that like T-Mobile buys from AT&T here right. and resells it or Virgin Mobile. I guess they're the one who do them. You know, the ones that just sell phones and don't right. actually like have a network. Yeah. Yep. Um, so they've done that everywhere. I mean, and, I imagine there's a network you buy into or something, but yeah. Right. right. And so they've done those deals and then they're selling... The local, well, so they're probably still paying roaming. Right. They're like, the phone's still flagged as a roaming phone. And so the only difference is that when the roaming charges show up, they show up on under this no roaming company and not the original cell phone tower owner. Right. And they just, you know do a smaller markup on wholesale than the original guy would. Right, right. Or I guess I guess the way that it works when you're roaming internationally is AT&T buys roaming time from the other guy and marks it out crazy amounts. So these guys do it and mark it up less. Yeah, and I don't know if, if there are other, other things at play in terms of the pricing and how that money flows, but yeah. And, and then the reason why they don't want to just give you a SIM is because then you'd be roaming on your network too, which means they'd be losing, right. they'd be paying for all those minutes. Right. Um, okay, I so, get it. Yeah, you want to be able to turn this SIM on and off. And But it's, it, it, again, it, uh, the, the things that were strange to me um, are they showed in the video they show it being done on an iphone and they show you going into this menu to choose features of the sim and again i don't know how much of that is actually provided by the sim card but it was a real sketchy looking menu and so it made me wonder if they're at least right now doing this with like jailbroken phones running hacked up apps um and if part of the money they're looking for is figuring out how to do this for real or if you know, there's something in the iPhone because there is a lot of like weird stuff that you have to implement if you're a GSM modem. So there may be something that like unlocks these SIM menus and the SIM menus right. are just kind of janky, but um, oh. I'm not sure. I, I will be curious. I did not pre-order one because there were too many sort of question marks about it. Um, mm-hmm. How much is the pre-order? 35 bucks. Okay. So it's 35 bucks and then that gets you the SIM, right. the sticker. Right. And then you like, is it a, did they say what their pricing models they have? Be? Yeah, they show pricing for different countries, and you basically... Um, so it's just a la carte after yeah, that? Yeah, yep. I mean, it's nice if it works. If it works, absolutely, yeah, um, because it just means you can travel without thinking about it. So, like, um, you know, you got back from Italy. Have you gotten your cell phone bill from Italy yet? Um, yeah, so 
it looks like I just paid my initial roam. Like, so I bought 300 megabytes of roaming for like 60 bucks. And it looks like that's all I'm going to pay. I mean, they, they told me twice I went over and that they were going to bill me, but I never got that bill. Hmm. So, well, I have had those, that international roaming data stuff take more than a month to work its way through. Mm, sure. So it's possible that could still come through. Um, sure. But, you know, the advantage, uh, I go both ways because the advantage of doing what you did is that you had your normal phone number, you know, you got off the plane and your phone just worked. Mm-hmm. That's very attractive. Yeah. I mean, what I would like is for someone to like run AT&T out of business by making an affordable solution that I can just buy a phone from. So that was an excellent segue. Thank you. um, Into T-Mobile. T-Mobile is America's third or fourth largest. I don't know which way. I think it is simultaneously their fourth largest and their fourth smallest. I was trying to think, yeah, like which way do you account from? Um, A smaller provider, they are much, much smaller than AT&T or Verizon. Um, Have they always been that much smaller or is this mostly from just getting kicked around because of the iPhone? I'm not sure when the split happened. Because you and I were both T-Mobile. I mean, everyone I knew was T-Mobile back in the day. Well, and T-Mobile, what? T-Mobile used to be OmniPoint? I don't know about that. I I mean, T-Mobile goes way back. They were were the first GSM provider in the States. Um, Owned by by Deutsche Telekom, although they would much like to get rid of it. Right. Um, I mean, it seems like, yeah, everyone I know left T-Mobile when AT&T got the iPhone. Yep. Yep. That was definitely the case for me. And I loved T-Mobile. Um, they, they, they were not, they, yeah, they were okay. They were, they were very friendly. Ugh, yeah, that's, see, you like that. Um, You're a good middle westerner. Anyways, so um, they have been doing some interesting things to try and get out of, I mean, not so much, you know, grow to the point of competing with AT&T, but at least establish a place for sure they would the like market to. as a unique company. And so the, the things they've done so far is they've changed the way that um, phone pricing works, which is that they don't do the sort of subsidized model. Instead, you can buy a phone and do a, a payment plan, essentially, that you see on your bill where you pay for your phone over a certain amount of time. Um, you know, costs the same, but it's more upfront and clear and you have more choice and- in the matter. And it lets them set, like offer some reasonable alternative for people who want to buy an unlocked iPhone from right. Apple, right? And then use it on the T-Mobile network, right? Um, and then they they've done a bunch of interesting things with just pricing in general. Um, and then last night they had a conference where they announced um, a global roaming feature. I forget what their branding for this is, but the idea is. Without having to pay anything extra, if you're a postpaid T-Mobile customer, um, starting October 31st, you'll be able to go to effectively any country in the world. Um, the asterisk countries are countries you probably aren't going to, um, and have um, data for no cost, and have uh, phone calls at 20 cents a minute. Okay, so you get basically you can use your domestic data internationally, right? And you can make roaming calls for twenty cents a minute, right? And that's okay. any country that's, in the world, 
no differentiation and I mean, which i think is key because you know some countries roaming is 39 cents a minute and some it's two dollars and 50 cents a minute you know right um no, that's great right. and so the data and the data is um bandwidth capped at 128k a second and and different articles had that as kilobytes or kilobits so i'm not sure which is which, which it actually is right which would make it you know sort of good enough for email and twitter but not right. for if you want to like photo blog or something Mm-hmm. Um, but then Deal. they also yeah. let you add full speed data for like 10 bucks. You can buy a package of 500 megabytes or something. So, you know, they're trying to make that easy as well and, and not make you have to like add a monthly plan, which is what Verizon does. Um, so right. I think this is awesome. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I, you know, you're going to switch back. I mean, it's tempting. So if I were to switch back to T-Mobile, um, my monthly bill, because they have a 2.5 gigabyte plan, um, and then they have a fully unlimited plan. And I think I could fit into the 2.5 gigabyte plan. Um, and that would, I think my total bill a month would run $60 a month. And wow. I think I'm paying Verizon around 100 or 100, no, about 115 a month now. Yeah, I'm at 120 a month. Um and so that would be nice. Um, and then, you know, the idea would be, yeah, travel anywhere and don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, like, not only do you save money every month, but you save money dicking around with all the traveling you do, too. Yep. Um, so the question is then coverage, network, as it always has been. Um, and right. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know what someone should you know what someone should make is there a way to get access to the cell tower information on your iphone Um, like an api i don't think so there used to be i don't know if there still there was there's a thing there was like a hack menu you could get into yeah i don't know if that's gone but that was never an api you could get no oh programmatically no because you know what i mean maybe one of the carriers could get this out of apple but what would be great is an app to show you what your coverage would be. Uh, so like the T-Mobile, like the I'm scared to switch to Verizon app. Yeah. Well, especially and, with and the, Verizon will like pop open and be like, oh, you get four bars here. Yeah, especially with like the, the new stuff in iOS 7 and the iPhone 5S that they could passively track that for a week and know all the places you go. Huh. I mean, Apple I guess you could do, do you could do it that way. You could track the person's GPS information and then... Say like, oh, here's everywhere you went, you know, you know, since you installed the app, yeah, and we have coverage everywhere that you went, except for your, you know, your grandparents' house. Yeah, I mean, T-Mobile claims that's um, not a that's a, not a bad app. <laughs> Someone should do that. They claim, um, you know, LTE coverage in every major metro now. But I don't know what that actually means in terms of like, is that one tower or? Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you know people in San Francisco who have T-Mobile? No, no one. I mean, I will say I've been surprised and disappointed by Verizon's coverage. I thought going to Verizon was going to be like a dramatic shift in, wow, no, I have cell phone coverage everywhere because that's what people have always said. And for a while, I thought it was just that my 5 had bad reception, but my 5S is the exact same where... I would say most of the time I have between two and three bars out of five. Right. I mean, I think the difference is 
Verizon was always significantly better for voice. And I think that's sort of people still think it but that way. Mm-hmm. You know, because they used to be CDMA versus GSM, right? Right. Yeah, which is like way better inside. Like it punches through walls and basements right. and stuff way yeah. better. And I think they've just always kept that like, you know, impression. People have always had that impression like, oh, you know, Verizon's like eight times as expensive. But if you can afford it, you yeah. know, because you're a fancy businessman, then it's way better. Hmm. You know, and they've just like milked that, you know, stereotype for all these years. Because, I mean, I don't think, I mean, they're basically, they use the same technology. They all kind of lease each other's towers at this point, don't they? I'm not sure. I may, I mean, I, I'll give it some thought because, you know, I would have to break my uh, contract, but the payback on that would be like two months. Um, yeah. And again, I mean, you can, your phone's already unlocked, right? Right. So what's, could you get a T-Mobile like burner SIM and just run it for a month? You know, that's, you know, pay for two plans at the same time. I'm not sure if they do burner LTE SIMs, but that's a curious thought. I mean, you could, I mean, you could say like, I want to run, I mean, if nothing else, you can always cancel your plan within a month. Oh yeah. I guess they don't have, do they have contracts? I don't know. I mean, if they're not, but I mean, like I've done, you know, I did three Verizon data plans and canceled them all after a month. Hmm. Okay. They just, they, you know, they, they have a period until. Hmm. I'll have to look into that. Um, and I guess the, the other question with this international roaming thing that I would have to think through is that, um, you know, when I was in Vietnam recently, I used a, a company called Holiday Phone, um, and they're based out of Sweden, I think. Yeah, Sweden. Um, and they act as a middleman for selling you sims from other countries. Sims, yep. um, and, and so I got a, it was a Viatel or Vinaphone sim, I forget which. Um, and a recharge card, and then their value add is that they gave me very nicely written instructions on how to use these things, how to check my balance, how to up my balance, and also provided a VoIP gateway to forward my domestic cell phone to this Vietnamese number so that my number rang through. Um, but the really cool thing was that in Italy or in, in Vietnam, it meant I had something like um, you know five gigs or ten gigs of of three G data. Um, for you know sixty dollars or something and it was very nice like it was very freeing to be traveling and able to like post lots of photos and download things and you know pull up information on sites really quickly you know as i walked around a city or use mapping live so that that was very nice um and i don't know how the t-mobile experience would compare to having those local sims in terms of performance but um you know again there's also wi-fi lots of places and yeah I don't know. So, hmm. I mean, I'd be I mean, curious if you go back to T-Mobile. Yeah, um, to hear what your reaction is. Because I mean, you know, if nothing else, they're just they're, they want you. they're the they're the underdog, and yeah. they're like really desperate, and you know. Yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, like AT and T is not going to fix AT and T, and neither is Verizon. Right. And so it's good that somebody's. Yeah, I mean, has I would, nothing to lose. I would like to think that things like this would would push AT and T and Verizon to you know improve their service, but it only will if you leave them. Exactly. I have not seen any. You know, in the time I've been with Verizon, which is eighteen months now, you know, 
nothing has improved about the type of plan I have access to. I think things have gotten worse in terms of exactly. data models and everything. So, yeah. Hmm. Maximizing yeah. shareholder value. Yeah, you may have convinced me to, to make the switch. Yeah, I mean... And the fact that yeah. we discuss it on the podcast makes it a business expense. Sure. For your business. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that business is less profitable. Uh-oh. Um, Sorry, you were going to say... I don't know what I was going to say. Oh, okay. Do it up. Try that. Let okay. me know. Um, chatter? Ready to wrap this up? Yeah, yeah sure. Let's do it. Uh, my chatter this week is Cloud Paint. This is an HTML5 implementation of Mac Paint. Which is amazing. Yes, Mac Paint was the first like GUI painting app I ever used. I assume the one, first one most people ever used, unless you had... Unless you aren't crazy old. Right. Um, it And this implementation is, is really slick. Um, it is... So are they just... It sure looks like they're like emulating it. No. No. It's a complete rewrite. Yeah. Down to like the crazy big, like the crazy tiny screen and everything. Right. Although you can, <laughs> you can blow it up if you want. Right. Um, the only thing that I couldn't get to work is the brush mirrors. Oh, you can't? No. To do the like... Oh, it see, doesn't that seem the... to like enable for me. Oh. And I haven't gone looking to see like why that is. Um, where? But that was I... always my favorite thing. Like that was really... Honestly, yeah, the thing where you could do the crazy... Okay. Oh, yeah, the OK button doesn't work. Yeah. What the hell? That sucks. I remember my my grandmother had, we got her a Mac, uh, something in the Mac, it was probably a Mac Classic, uh, something in the original Mac shape, but one of the Mm -hmm. later ones, I think. SE30. Yeah, it didn't have a hard drive. Um, SE30. And I remember spending hours with Mac Paint doing little pictures and things. Yeah. So, So... Good for nostalgia. It is good. Um, and, you know, I'm glad, at least so far, Apple hasn't tried to shut them down. Uh, could they even anymore? Oh, I'm sure there's something about this that they could claim a patent on. But they did the whole thing where they, like, they released all the property to the oh, Computer that's History right. Museum. They, they released so all, all of Atkins' code and everything. So they must have had to... I don't know. They must have had to give up something in that yeah. process. You may be right there. Huh. That's why I was wondering if they, they just like made a Pascal interpreter <laughs> and, you know, pulled the copy of the uh, SE 30 ROM or something and just went for it. Because, I mean, they're getting to the point where there's actually a project that will emulate a, a Mac Plus in, uh, in JavaScript. Yeah. I'm looking through the code now. It It's... Awesome. Ugly. It doesn't look like the sort of thing someone actually wrote. It looks like this code was generated by something, but... Okay, so they, like, cross-compiled the Pascal or something. Yeah, I don't know. I hope (laughs) someone didn't write this. It's 16,000 lines. Oh, yeah. But it's the best project ever. (laughs) Well, good for them doing it. Um, So... You know, I still have a dream of making my little... My copy of that one-third... Mac Plus, one third scale. Oh yeah, that runs off uh, Raspberry Pi, and it might be worth just making a boot into this instead of booting into. 
Um, yeah, so my chat of this week is a years ago, back when we were young and optimistic. We had, I think it was on the podcast. We had a talk about um, control surfaces, and I suggested that somebody figure out some way to turn three off the shelf, um, like Logitech trackballs into you know, like plug them all into an Arduino, plug the Arduino into your computer and have it like generate uh, hid controls and pretend to be like a you know resolve panel or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some guy did something kind of like that and I wanted to call it out because it was a neat little hack. Um, he took three trackballs and plugged them into a little USB router and then um, his solution was to just hack up a version of uh, which one? One of these open source video playback apps. Which uh, was- VLC. Or M player. M player, yeah. And he just uh, snuck some like color correction stuff into their fragment shader for doing YUV to RGB conversion. And so you can do like lift gamma gain on um, on your playback of video. So That's not really a usable not like a grading platform not a real thing it's you know one time playback adjust the playback filter basically it's like for doing because you could use it to make like a lot mm-hmm. if you wrote that into the little hack you did like little cdl thing um but you know an interesting fun little hack yeah it's good to uh, see something do something with a cool maybe. proof of concept it's the sort of thing that you know it doesn't make sense to necessarily build your own one of these, but um, maybe it pushes someone to build a product for this space. I don't know. Not, yeah, I mean, the problem, you know, because we were talking with Salvo about this a little bit, and I think they brought it up on one on their Coloristos podcast. Um, and the big problem is there's not an open standard for those sort of things. Mm, okay. Um, if there were, then you could totally, you know, imagine making some sort of open source project designed to do this sort of thing. But the way that those panels work currently is the panel has an SDK and the you know, they work out a deal with the various companies to integrate the panel SDK. And so it's like a selling point for the software that it works with the following seven panels. Sure. So there's no incentive to yeah, it, well, it just makes the the incentive structure much different. You'd have to you'd have to have a biz dev guy in order to start this open source project, which seems you know antithetical to the whole idea. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Well, good for the person doing it, I guess. Is the yeah? No, it was a neat. It was it was a neat hack, and it's fun to see that you know someone else had the same idea. Yeah, cool. Or someone listens to our podcast or something. Mm. Who knows? Cool. Well, um, I will. I'm going to flip over to the T-Mobile page now and give that some thought, and we will talk again next week. Sounds good. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.